Hey, welcome back to Lucid. It's a podcast in which two dreamers tell you about dreams and listen to yours so your friends don't have to. I'm Micah Sargent, and I'm joined, as usual, right here in Big Dream City with my co-host, Tori Folk. Hey, Tori. Hey, Micah. What's up? I'm doing all right. My my histamine levels are up, I guess. <laughs> oh, Trying to figure out how to do a good segue into the topic today, but really, um, I my excitement levels are up. I have been wanting to talk about dream drugs for quite some time. <laughs> I'm glad we're finally talking about dream drugs. Yeah, me too, actually. I found a lot of this way more fascinating than I thought I would initially, which is super cool. Fascinating and complicated as hell. Yeah, definitely. Um, Just because, one, I feel like there are so many different types of sleep aids and things like that. Um, And also there's so much neuroscience that goes into it. And I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not a pharmacist, nor am I a doctor or a nurse or even, you know, like an old timey barber slash surgeon. So like I have (laughs) reading some of this, I was like, oh, okay. That has no, that's apropos of nothing, but I, I was going to say know. just in general. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's cool. I might have some stuff to confess to you later, but until then, uh, did you want to get started talking about all of the different prescription and non-prescription drugs used to aid in sleep? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I mean, there are, are quite a few and different people try uh, different types of medicines. There are antihistamines, um, which is one of the more common drugs used. But at the same time, it's sort of like a secondary mechanism of this medicine. It's not necessarily its intended purpose because people right. typically are using it for allergies and stuff. Uh, then there's benzos, <laughs> that's benzodiazepines, uh, as well as some less common ones that maybe we'll touch on in the sense that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss sort of these different mechanisms of, of sleep, but they, they aren't as big as, uh, as, Ambien and its various cousins, and then things like antihistamines. Um, right. You know, you give your child that little pink pill of Benadryl, and suddenly <laughs> they're knocked out for the whole plane ride. Ah, oh, glorious! <laughs> so, why don't you start uh, by talking about Ambien and its cousins? Because I am curious about all I. I really know nothing about Ambien except that anyone who ever talks about Ambien talks about Ambien addiction. It's like they go hand in hand and therefore right. I'm very afraid of Ambien. So what is it? <laughs> How does it work? And why am I afraid of it? Should I be? Okay. Well, you shouldn't be if you take it as directed, right? So ah. it's <laughs> Ambien or its generic name, which is Zolpidem, which I actually kind of like a little bit better. Um, it's a sedative that's taken orally, um, and it's usually only recommended as sort of like a last resort uh, if you're dealing with sleep problems because usually what a doctor will do first is like – ask you how your sleep hygiene is and are you avoiding screens? Are you, you know, separating your workspace from your sleep space and all of these other things? And if you do all those things and you're still experiencing chronic insomnia, then maybe they'll go ahead and decide to put you on uh, something like Ambien. Um, and so they're usually only recommended for short-term use, 
kind of to get you back into sort of sleep flow, and you're supposed to use them at their lowest effective dose. And they suggest that because long-term use can lead to, like you said, addiction, dependence, um, and in some cases, substance abuse, because people do, as we'll find out in a little bit, like to use Ambien to get high. So Ambien... Basically, in really, really layman's terms, it helps you fall asleep more quickly. And depending on the dose, it can help you stay asleep longer, though it wasn't necessarily designed to do that. It was more just designed to get you into sleep as opposed oh. to help you stay asleep. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it, I didn't know that actually. And um, it has a half-life, which we talked about half-lives of things whenever we discussed uh, sleep disruptors. Uh, it has a half-life of about three hours, so that means – it takes about three hours for half of the dose to kind of work its way out of your bloodstream. But if you have liver issues, it may take a little bit longer. It may stay with you a little bit longer. Okay. So now into the really fun, complicated neuroscience. So Ambien is actually a non-benzodiazepine, um, which <laughs> sounds like it's the opposite of a benzodiazepine, but oh. it's actually not. Non-benzodiazepines are also called Z drugs, um, and they're a class. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's because they all have Z in their name, which I thought was uh, really fun. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed that that's, that's all that it is. Okay, this one's got a Z in it, so it's a Z drug. Well, for some reason, whenever I first read Z drugs, I thought Z like catching Sleep? some Zs. <laughs> I love but it. But that's not what it is. But in my mind, that's what I'm assigning to it. So Z drugs are a class of psychoactive drugs that have <laughs> no, similar... I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm I just sorry. see these Zs in the air every time you're saying that now. I'll be quiet. <laughs> Drugs. Okay, so they're a class of psychoactive drugs that have similar properties to benzodiazepines. So your benzodiazepines are like your Valium and your Xanax and your Klonopin uh. and things like that that um, people usually uh, get put on for severe anxiety issues and things like that. Um, but unlike benzodiazepines, they're kind of considered to have less of the bad side effects I guess it was sort of difficult to discern what exactly the benefit of taking a non-benzodiazepine as opposed to a benzodiazepine is. Uh -huh. um, but the difference is that their molecular structures are really different, even though they have really similar effects once they get into the brain, which I thought was really fascinating. And can, can I ask? Yeah, of course. So, like with with benzodiazepines, are those more meant to be taken uh, as tranquilizers, sort of with with anxiety and things, whereas non benzos are specifically for sleep issues? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are. I think there are some non benzos that are used in the same way as like the benzos, the more anxiety oriented medications. But for the most part. Uh, non-benzos are more like your Lunestas okay. and your Ambien's and your Sonatas and things like that. And um, like I said before, I'm going to focus on Ambien mostly because it's I think it's the one that you hear about the most Absolutely. whenever people are talking about sleep aids. But all benzos and non-benzos have really similar effects, benefits, and risks and things like that. Non-benzos work because they are <laughs> – what's called GABA, G-A-B-A, -A, uh, agonists. Yo. <laughs> Yo, GABA, GABA. Listen, I always said that you were you would be perfect for PJ Lance. <laughs> okay, anyway, from what I understand, I feel like I'm going to be saying that a lot. Um, this means that they work by mimicking the effects of GABA or 
gamma aminobutyric acid in the brain. There will be a test later, so remember Yeah, everyone take notes, please. So GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that reduces neuronal excitability (laughs) throughout the nervous system and regulates your muscle tone. So basically... (laughs) I love it's got that extra thing thrown in. By the way, while we're keeping your... (laughs) While we're reducing your neuron excitement, we're also going to work on your muscle tone. Well, it's all... Well, it's all uh, in, under the same umbrella, right? Because it's it's focusing on your central nervous system, which controls sort of – I know that there's a better way to put this than how I'm about to say it, but like how tense you are ah, in the body. Okay. So okay. It, it kind of means that. It's not like necessarily like getting swole and working on your muscle tone that way. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, but basically what that means is – GABA and by extension these drugs that mimic GABA uh, inhibit your neuron activity and sort of like quiet your brain. So they have a very relaxing anti-anxiety effect on people and related to the muscle tone thing, um, some – non-benzos, not Ambien specifically, but some of them can have an anti-convulsive effect. And so they are prescribed to people who maybe experience seizures and things like that to keep them from having seizures. But (laughs) as many people probably know, Ambien's sort of claim to fame and why it's talked about so much is because it has really interesting side effects. So (laughs) if you don't go to sleep, Within about an hour of taking your Ambien, if you fight against it and stay awake instead. Like an infant? Yeah, I mean, which some people, I mean, some people do. Uh, Some pretty wild stuff can go down um, without you even knowing that it's going on. Oh, Um, my God. You basically wake up in the morning and you experience amnesia. Like, you have no idea what you've done the night before. And this can be anything from sleepwalking and sleep talking you can have like full conversations with someone and not know about it um sleep driving there have been instances of accidents because people were driving while they were on ambient and again like didn't you know didn't even realize sleep eating there are times where people wake up and they've had like (laughs) they've had like all sorts of like their fridge has been rifled through and they don't remember doing it or oh they tried to cook gosh. something and uh, it ended up being total chaos. They had like – it was like, uh, well, I I apparently tried to make mac and cheese but I didn't put the powder in and then I put it on some bread thinking that that was the right thing to do. And um, <sighs> people can also have uh, sexual parasomnia which they will have sex without remembering it the next day because they're actually asleep. Um And then some of the other side effects are like euphoria, visual distortions, and even hallucinations sometimes. People say that they'll see things on it. But again, this is only if you fight it and don't go to sleep when you're tired after you've taken it, right? I would be worried though. Like (laughs) my anxiety would fight it it, because I'd be going, oh God, if I don't fall asleep in the next hour, I'm going to start seeing shit. (laughs) And then it wouldn't – but – would it be powerful enough to quiet that part of my brain in the first place? I don't know. You know, I think this is what a lot – I mean, this is why sometimes people have to adjust their dosage and things like oh that. I mean, it's 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 like any other medication. They'll start you off probably on a smaller dose and then depending on how you react to it, they'll adjust it as necessary. So, uh, Sorry, doc. You gave me the smallest dose and I woke <laughs> up trying to, <laughs> trying to put my chihuahua on my head because I thought it was – 
a baseball cap. I have no the idea. fanciest, cutest the fanciest baseball cap baseball I've ever caps. seen. Um, so this is such a prevalent thing culturally that there's actually a subreddit oh uh, called Things I Did on Ambien where people post either while they're on Ambien or they post about Ambien or they post uh, their embarrassing stories that other people tell them about themselves after they have sort of woken up from being on Ambien. So you're going to share a few, right? <laughs> I absolutely am. And I mean, please go check this out. It's just r slash Ambien. It is hilarious. These ones are ones that I just pulled from the last like three or four days. And listen, I'm going to try to read them. <laughs> there are a lot of typographical, I'm going to say intricacies. There you go. Going on. Good, yeah. Um, so, okay. So here's the first one. This is from user very Haley. Before you start, can I just note, these are people who have gone in and willingly shared these stories, right? Yes. We touched a little bit on the addiction and, and things like that. Yeah. And so this is not, this is not a situation where, you know, we understand that addiction with Ambien is a big deal and these people are are willingly sharing their stories about. Yes, these people are willingly sharing their stories. And also there is, uh, you know, on Reddit, there's the you have the ability to edit posts, remove posts. Um, and there are some more serious posts on the subreddit. It's not necessarily all like hilarious stories or whatever. Um, but these are all ones that were funny. And it was very clearly like, OK, these are funny and people were sharing them. The first one, the title of it is anyone eat OT meals? <laughs> <laughs> and the body said, anyone eat oatmeal with warmed blueberries <laughs> on top after they take their nightly ambient? It is delightful. Watching the little pieces of oat crumble, I like the steel-cut oats, and the blueberries <laughs> run over your bowl and bedding and leave purple streaks everywhere they gapo. I'm just saying, this is a garden of earthly delights, <laughs> watching oatmeal with hot blueberries after taking your ambience. <laughs> <laughs> They're staining their bed. I know, but they love it. It's a garden of they earthly delights, Micah. And so on good. top of it, this is a who's the E.E. E. Cummings? This is a very E.E. E. Cummings style. Is this lots of, okay, yeah, because uh, obviously the listeners can't see this, but there are lots of interesting <laughs> punctuation things going on. There are brackets, there are parentheses, there are the uh, parentheses for I like the steel cut oats. There are two sets of parentheses on either side. Of it. And they're not even double parentheses like the appropriate side. They're just two sets of closed parentheses on either side. Um, there are so many colons in the middle of words. It's very good. Um, it almost – I was like, wow, I'm kind of jealous that I didn't write this on purpose. Um, but it's really good. I loved that one. It was very decadent. Um, there's also this one, which is a little bit more threatening, honestly. The title is Listen to Be Very Carefully. And the body says – I'm going to eat your tile floors. Yo, do you understand me? I am so, so, so pissed of t you. I'm going to brack into your house and capital E eat your tile floor. I'm going to cost you a lot of money, mister. You'll regret messing with me. You fucker. You fiend. Eat your own weed. And then I want to point out that later on they went in the, like, the next day or so. And just added an edit that said, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who ate their weed. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> that was a uh, user folk punk Bowie. So I'd love to hear the rest of that story and what initiated that. This next one is I just chose. It's very coherent, but I chose it because it reminded me of you, and I was Aww. like, you know what? This person's right. This is very wholesome. The title is "Why Is It Sometimes an Insult to Call Someone a Dog?" In my opinion, dog-like characteristics are awesome. And then the body of it just says, I really like dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's the user, uh, the sneaky mouse. So I thought that one was quite sweet. Okay. So now my question for you is, in researching this, do do you get the impression that people are purposefully staying up with the hopes of sort of getting being high or being in these weird states or is this just like for some people it's not working and so they end up staying up and doing these these strange things you know i'd say it's probably a good mix of both uh there are some comments on the or some threads on the uh subreddit where people are asking for tips on how to get higher than usual on Ambien. Um, there are people who are using it recreationally and then i also think that there are people who are genuinely uh, just using it and then, you know, the, the stuff just happens, right. they end up staying awake, the dose isn't right. People actually often also ask for advice about their dosage and things like that. Um, so yeah, I would say it's a good mix of both. Um, and you know, I'm glad you asked that because though those posts do seem really fun, because they are, they're really great. There are also a lot of negatives when it comes to taking Ambien, especially recreationally. And while like, I'm not trying to scare anyone about taking their Ambien. Like, if your doctor has told you to take your Ambien, you know, and that's something that you're choosing to do, absolutely, you know, you're free to do that. But if you're going to, uh, if you if you want to, you know, mess around, get high on Ambien and things like that, I think it's worthwhile to know the risks just mm-hmm. in case. So you can sort of weigh that. Um, so some of the negatives. Some of the side effects of Ambien – will last well into the day after you've taken it, taken it for some Ugh. people. So you'll wake up with a sort of groggy, foggy headed hangover kind of feeling. Um, so some people will actually, even though they didn't take the Ambien that morning or anything, they may fall asleep while they're driving or they may struggle to oh, God. operate machinery or things like that. Um, so usually if you've just started you know, taking Ambien or increase your dose, you may want to be very careful about what you choose to do that next day because you may wake up feeling very groggy. Sometimes it can affect people negatively as opposed to those like fun, euphoric, decadent oatmeal feelings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oatmeal feels. Yeah. Uh, So some people actually get really sad. Um, They'll experience mood swings. Some people will get really aggressive and angry, like way more than they normally would, uh, and they'll start acting unlike themselves in that way. So again, it's just the differences in brains are so vast and kind of incomprehensible that sometimes it depends on who's taking it, like what effect it'll actually have. Uh, And like I said, many people will take Ambien recreationally, and sometimes they even – uh, we'll mix it with other drugs or Ooh. alcohol to achieve a more like super intense high or a better quote unquote trip. And that's really dangerous and it'll increase your risk of overdose and maybe even you might die from doing that. So it's not something that I would personally recommend you do. Um, it's just like 
be smart about this if you're going to do it. Um, and then just sort of not necessarily using it recreationally, but some people do become dependent on Ambien over time. Um, and if that does happen, usually what a doctor will do is decrease the dosage slowly and gradually because if you quit cold turkey, there are lots of really negative, terrible side effects uh, like anxiety, severe mood swings, nausea and vomiting, uncontrolled crying. Oh, great. And trouble falling asleep, I'm sure. Yeah. Delirium, seizures, panic attacks. And you can also just make your insomnia a lot worse. So because of all of this stuff, and also because Ambien can be used in sort of nefarious ways by other people, um, really disgusting people can even use it for sexual assault and things like that. Um, it's considered to be a Schedule Four controlled substance, mm. which, you know, that basically means that it's going to be more difficult than other prescription medications to acquire legitimately. So, you know, it's different than just going into your doctor and saying like, hey, I am sick. I need an antibiotic. You know, they'll generally be like, oh, yeah, perfect. But with this, you have to make a pretty good case before they're going to go ahead and uh, prescribe it to you because it's – like I said, it's on the same level as – sort of like Xanax and things like that, where they are controlled substances. So doctors are sort of wary about just prescribing them willy-nilly just to keep people safe. For sure. Um, and I did want to shoehorn in this one really, really cool thing that I learned. I guess in really rare cases, Ambien has been known to have a sort of paradoxical cognition improving effect as opposed to cognition dampening um, huh. on some people who have experienced brain damage that has left them in a sort of vegetated state or a state of minimal consciousness. There have been a handful of reports of Ambien sort of waking these patients up, Whoa. Um, causing them sometimes it's only a few hours, sometimes it's like all day, but like bouts of awareness, whereas they would normally not be experiencing that kind of thing. Um, the most famous case is a story of a South African person named, uh, oh God, I'm going to butcher this probably, Louis Fouillon, I think, uh, who was, he was hit by a truck and left in a vegetative state. Um, and at one point he was, even in his uh, more vegetative state, he was sort of not rest like not sleeping well I guess his mother had noticed something like that about him and so she was like okay well the doctors gave us Ambien I'm going to try and she fed him Ambien through a straw and he started talking Whoa. again he said hello to her um and sort of gained slightly better control over his limbs and facial muscles and was able to kind of like you know what I mean? There was like a presence behind his eyes. He was mm -hmm. able to like sort of uh, interpret what was happening around him. Um, it only lasted for like a couple of hours and then it wore off. But she was sort of like, oh, maybe we're onto something. So she spoke to his doctor and they started giving him Ambien daily as sort of part of his daily medication regimen. And against literally the greatest odds, he one day woke up. And he was able to speak in complete sentences. Oh he recognized God. his family. Um, and he had absolutely no memory of his reduced state of consciousness. And his condition continued to improve. And they continued giving him Ambien until eventually he didn't need it at all. He was he had gotten so much better and was <gasps> able to awesome. sort of. I know. And I was like, that is the wildest thing. Um, and so people have been and are still currently uh, doing studies on this. Um but it is so rare, and I think you sort of have to have the right brain for it because mm -hmm. only about 
9% of brain injured patients will experience this effect. Mm. And among those, maybe one or two will actually recover like that guy did. But I thought that that was just the coolest thing. That's still thing. incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's in like, even if it only ever happened to one person, yeah. that's incredible. The human brain is the wildest. Oh, awesome. So do you want to hit us up with those Antihistamines, please. <laughs> yes, yes, I will. Um, antihistamines, again, we, I, I talked before about how this, this drug is typically used for allergies. Um, if you have some, some major allergies coming on, then you will take something like Claritin or Zyrtec or some, uh, Benadryl, different things like that. And we know that some of those are, drowsy causing drugs and some of them are non-drowsy or at least that's what the the label says uh so in order to understand antihistamines you have to understand the root of the word which is histamine histamines are these little chemicals that our body produces to help fight off uh foreign bodies to fight off invaders they're okay. they're like white blood cells in the sense that they also help fight off things, but they don't work in the same way. They're not leukocytes. They don't absorb things. They actually, the, the chemicals will go and find cells in the bodies that have histamine receptors and they attach to them. And when they okay. attach to those cells, it causes those cells to react in the ways that we know on, you know, in when we're having like an allergy issue, uh, our eyes might get watery and itchy, our throat might get scratchy, some part of your body might swell, you might get hives. That's actually gotcha. your body doing that. It is not the foreign thing that's in your body. It is your body itself through these histamines. So the way that antihistamines work is by – it's a little bit like we talked about caffeine before and how there are Mm -hmm. those receptors in the brain that kind of look around for – uh, that chemical and this, this works the same way. Antihistamines come in and they keep that receptor, that, that histamine receptor from being able to make a connection with histamine. So there's okay. no, you know, by attaching itself to the cell, then the cell does its thing. It expands or what have you. And if it can't attach, then you don't have blood vessel dilation. And I think this is really cool. Along with blood vessel dilation and, you know, swelling and things like that, histamines actually, when they attach to cells, they make blood vessels more permeable. So that means that leukocytes, like white blood cells and proteins can get into those blood vessels better and get where they need to go to help your body heal more. Oh my God, I didn't know that. That's awesome. So like I always hated histamines, my body being an overactive uh, little work workforce. <laughs> right. And then I read that and I was like, okay, you're kind of cool. I have yeah. to give you some credit there. Um, <laughs> and fun fact, when you've got a cold and you know how like one of the main things about colds is being all congested, you're, you've got nasal, nasal congestion. That is yes. not the rhinovirus that's causing your nasal nasal congestion. That is your body's histamines going all up in your what? cells and your nasal cavity and attaching to blood vessels there and causing that congestion. Oh so my God. again, it's your body doing that. And I just think that's fascinating. Dang, body. Dang, Get it body, what are you up to? Yeah. Um, now, as I wrote in my notes, this is some deep ass neuroscience. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's very complicated, but histamine. Histamine, the way that it works in the brain, uh, so we know in the body that it helps sort of uh, attach to things and help, helps your body fight off bad stuff that gets there or things that it thinks right. are bad. Well, in the brain, it is a very powerful uh, wakefulness chemical. And okay. histamine acts on these 
these things called H1 receptors in the hypothalamus. And all we know is that the H1 receptors are super active during wakefulness, and then they sort of slow down a little bit during sleep, and then in deep sleep and in REM, they're not very active at all. Okay. Now, those those histamines are acting on those receptors, and that's what's causing your brain to sort of do all of the different things that it does. It's like, okay, I'm awake. <laughs> this is time to be awake. It's time to be going, going, going. Right. So. You can imagine then if your brain doesn't have action on the H1 receptor in the hypothalamus, then your mm -hmm. brain's going to go, okay, it's probably time for me to start slowing down. Well, when we take an antihistamine, we're trying to get those histamine receptors blocked in our eyes and in our uh, throat and in these different parts of our body that are affected by it. But we uh -huh. don't really want it to affect our brain. We don't want it to affect those H1 receptors <laughs> in the hypothalamus. Right. But – traditional antihistamines don't care about your blood brain barrier. They're like, <laughs> let me, let me climb up in there and let me go ahead and affect that H1 receptor. And therefore you get less histamine acting in the brain. And okay. I wanted to note, you talked about GABA. Um, histamine <laughs> is sort of the antithesis of GABA and neurologists and neuroscientists and all the people who look at how we've evolved over time in our brains think yeah. that GABA came along because histamine is such a powerful wake wakefulness chemical that Whoa. it needed a break. It like our brains needed, and I don't mean a break like oh, I'm going to take a break. I mean like hit the brakes kind of break. So oh, GABA okay. works as that. Let's slow down because histamine can be so powerful in keeping us awake. That's amazing. So again, you know, now antihistamines, they get in the way of those histamines. They get into the blood brain, get through the blood brain barrier, and they start messing with things there. Mm -hmm. So what about these, these newer antihistamines, these ones that say that they're non-drowsy? Well, there are two different types that uh, most people are going to come into contact with. And there is one type that instead of affecting the H1 receptor, that one in the hypothalamus, it affects the H2 receptor. So uh, ideally, you just wouldn't go into the brain at all and, and, and fuck with those receptors. But if it's going to happen, then let's have a chemical that messes with the H2 receptor. That one's not as important in terms of keeping you awake or keeping you asleep. So fine, okay. good, whatever. However, the most uh, recent drugs like Claritin – those don't get access to the brain at all. So they are, their chemical process keeps them from actually crossing the blood brain barrier and affecting any of the receptors there. So they do go into, you know, your different cells throughout your body and keep those receptors from connecting with the histamines, but they're not going to mess around with any of the blood brain barrier. Okay. Um, the, the last thing that I, I want to touch on in terms of, of, uh, histamines and this, again, this is this very, 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 uh, deep neuroscience, but the, <laughs> the histaminergic neurons display maximal activity during the state of high vigilance and cease <laughs> their activity during non-rapid eye movement and rapid eye movement sleep. What that means is there are neurons in our brains that are explicitly responsible for creating histamines and when we are most awake it's creating histamines and therefore right. affecting the h1 receptor and whenever we go into those deeper stages of sleep then they are not even active at all they're not creating histamine so you can think of it 
you know, if you take an antihistamine to help you so, sort of start to fall asleep, which occasionally I'll take something called Zequel, and Zequel is an antihistamine drug. So right. it starts to go, it, it's made to crawl into your brain and affect that. You got yeah. less histamines in there floating around doing their things, basically like running up to and smacking your H1 receptor, boom, 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 and saying, <laughs> wake up! That's not happening. So then you start to feel drowsy and you can you can sort of hit that stage one of sleep. Nice. That said, the last warning I want to give you, um, there have been some comparative studies done between old school school antihistamines and new school antihistamines, the one that have that non-drowsy label. Right. And in these comparative studies, it shows that things like Zyrtec and Claritin and these different drugs still, at least as reported by human beings, seem to have some effect on on wakefulness during the day. So even though they don't appear to be chemically affecting the brain in the ways that we know, there may mm-hmm. be other processes at work. And in fact, a uh, an allergy medicine that I took for a very long time, Zyrtec, uh, mm-hmm. was shown to negatively impact the mood and maybe even worsen depression. Wow. Okay. So it may not necessarily affect you in the way that it makes you sleepy, but it might really bum you out. Yeah. You might get bummed <laughs> oh, out. No. And so during the day, you know, you, you're taking this allergy medicine, hoping that it ba- bats back your histamines going and screwing with everything. Right. And it does that. But at the same time, you're still going to have low mood, low energy, low this, low that. And that's not <laughs> ideal. Not uh, the best. So that is that is an sort of overall look at, at antihistamines and the way that the histaminergic uh, system works in our bodies. So we've talked about the benzos and non-benzos. We've talked about antihistamines. Okay, so what about everyone's favorite <laughs> go-to supplement remedy, melatonin? Good old melatonin. Miss Melatonin, the sleep <laughs> hormone. Yes. It's important to note it is not a sedative. Um, okay. A lot of people think, you know, if I take this drug, then it's going to work something like Ambien or which, you know, right. Ambien has its own own effects or even something as simple as Zequel and antihistamine. And right. it doesn't work that way. In fact, melatonin... In terms of of the 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 mechanisms of action, is best described kind of as a coach for your body's natural cycles. Okay, I like that. Yeah it it kind of keeps keeps your shit on track. It's like, hey, <laughs> now is the time for you to start to feel tired and go to sleep, and you know go deeper into sleep and stay asleep. And now is the time for you to be awake. So it's not only working on your sleep cycle. It's also working on your wakefulness cycle, which I think is really fascinating. That is, yeah. Before it became this really popular thing that a lot of people use these days and thinks is going to you know, change everything for them, <laughs> yeah. it was most often recommended for people who were experiencing jet lag. Because the idea was that it would help you get your cycle back on track because that's what it does. It's, okay. Again, it's like a drill sergeant. It gets in there and it's like, now listen here, buddy. Let's get back on track. <laughs> okay. But my favorite thing about melatonin is the way that it is controlled in our body through this really cool thing called the suprachiasmatic nuclei. Whoa. 
I'm already intrigued. Super chiasmatic. Like that's – forget super califragilisticexpialidocious. We have this little system in our brain called the super chiasmatic nuclei. So it's, it's two pieces. Okay. And it is responsible for our circadian rhythm. There are photosensitive cells in these nuclei that are directly attached to our eyesight. And throughout the day as we're going along and we see day and night, or in the case of our modern lives, we see artificial light. <laughs> this this little thing is responsible for the regulation of our 24-hour circadian rhythm. Now, it is responsible for controlling and activating neurons and sending out hormones throughout the body to keep our circadian rhythm on track. And it uses about 20,000 neurons to make all this happen. This tiny, tiny, tiny part of our hypothalamus, again, called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, because you cannot forget that, is controlling 20,000 neurons to make sure that our circadian rhythm is not whack. However, wow. Because of the fact that it's tied to photosensitive cells and good old Edison came along and fucked everybody's shit up. Oh, God, I hate him so much. This is sort of like as modern humans, we need a better way, but we have right. not developed one. And <laughs> so uh, as, as the day goes on, uh, about 9 p.m., is whenever the proper darkness levels are supposed to hit, sort of your suprachiasmatic nuclei go, okay, now it's been dark enough for a while. That's where shit really starts to flow. That's where the melatonin gets flowing. Melatonin is created in the pineal gland in the brain, and it is it, it basically the, the suprachiasmatic nuclei is like, yo, 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 pineal gland, time to start making melatonin. And so it goes and it, it spreads throughout, you know, the brain and it starts to make you want to go to sleep. So it's, it's, again, it is, it is like Ambien in the sense that it is a help you fall asleep drug, um, on the, on the sort of face of it. So it gets you to stage one sleep. Now, while you're asleep, melatonin peaks at some point overnight. And then starts to drop and then it drops pretty drastically right before dawn and it gets to an almost imperceptible level throughout the day. So melatonin completely leaves your body throughout the day. Well, almost completely leaves your body throughout the day. Right. Now, over time, as you go get older, you produce less melatonin naturally. So that's one thing okay. to keep in mind. And so that could be responsible. Again, we've talked about before the stages of sleep and how important restorative sleep is. Melatonin dropping as you age could also be responsible for this. But then also tied again to these these life cycles, to the seasons, uh, there's shorter periods of production in the summer when there's more daylight out and longer right. periods in the winter when there's less daylight out. Again, like I, I can't I cannot stress enough how important it is that it is tied to our to the the light cycle, and so if you you know this is why we've we've talked about wanting to switch to to orange light and things like that and getting rid of blue light and things because your suprachiasmatic nuclei can only do so much with those photosensitive cells, and melatonin is absolutely just so important for your overall circadian rhythm because of the way that it keeps things in check. So along with basically helping you fall asleep, there have been studies that seem to suggest that it helps you stay asleep and it improves the quality of your sleep. And that sort of makes sense because of the way that we see it increase in our brains over the course of the night right. and then dropping before daylight. 
if we can get melatonin to the place where it's supposed to be, then it's going to, again, keep things running as they're supposed to. So the only reason that we end up having to take these supplements is, again, because of Edison and him just, I mean, he might, we might as, you know what, I'm probably going to have to create a GIF uh, or a GIF of Edison (laughs) kicking the super chiasmatic nuclei because that's essentially what he's done. Please do it. (sighs) It's necessary. So the last thing I want to talk about, this is very kind, not, not kind of, this is very bad. This is very bad. Um, Melatonin is... A very popular supplement because we've yes. all heard, oh, it does something for our sleep. We should all just cram it down our throats. <laughs> well, no, that's not how it needs to be used. Your body creates it by itself. And so you need to sort of find the balance and make sure that you're taking the right dose. And a doctor can give you the proper dose. And there are different doses if you're trying to fight against uh, jet lag and different doses if you have ongoing issues with sleep and all these different things. But on top of that, I got some great news. Mm. Scientists at an Ontario University found that in more than 71% of melatonin supplements, the amount of melatonin was more than 10% different from what the product label indicated. Uh-oh. And it gets worse. As much as 83% less melatonin in some of those supplements, and as much as, and I'm not misreading here, 478% more melatonin in the supplement than what it was labeled to contain. Oh my God, what? The regulations on supplements in our country and in other countries is shit. And particularly with the less common or or rather sort of like the the trendy uh medicines mm-hmm. vitamin c and things like that it's not too expensive for companies to figure out how to make a vitamin c pill with the exact amount but right. these other things you know they as they're sort of going around and seeing what people are into and they're trying to you know source and all that kind of stuff yeah the regulation is not great and so you could end up taking God, 478% more melatonin than what you were supposed to, which is just going to screw your sleep schedule the other way. Like, this is not good. It's not good. Yeah, that would totally ruin me. I would just, I already sleep too much. I can't imagine being asleep even more than that. That (sighs) is wild. So I wish I had some advice on how to make sure you're getting uh, proper... Uh, supplements. There are some companies that their supplements, like they have these little badges on them and they've been like independently verified. So just don't buy it off of eBay for four cents or something. You know what I mean? Like really, (laughs) please don't buy your supplements (laughs) off of eBay. For four cents. Please do your due diligence before you decide to, to do these drugs. And even better, Talk to your doctor and your priest. Um, I'm available with the priest, but not the doctor. Uh, so talk to your doctor about uh, melatonin supplements before you go about taking them because you don't want to over or underdose and you want to make sure that if you're going to do this, you do it right. So you just mentioned melatonin's uh, sort of like – it's not very regulated, right? Supplements mm-hmm. are very, very difficult for companies to regulate, supposedly, especially the really popular trendy ones that people are all over. Well, there is a fairly new prescription medication, actually, that mimics the effects of melatonin on the brain. Um, and it's called uh, Rosarum. Mm-hmm. Like Ambien is a GABA agonist. Rosarum is a melatonin agonist. So it, it, it 
sort of uh, guides your body through those same processes that melatonin would. And uh, the reason that it was created was because, like you said, supplements aren't very regulated. Well, this is an FDA approved ah. and regulated medication that mimics the effects of melatonin. So it's sort of held to a higher standard. You'll get a more exact dosage and things like that. Um, and you can verify its contents and it, that it actually is what it says it is, which is why some people are now choosing to take it. It's also the only prescription sleep aid that isn't a controlled substance. Ah, so okay. it, so you need a prescription, but it doesn't have all that extra stuff. No, it. it does the same thing where it sort of regulates your circadian rhythm, supposedly. So it's it's still pretty new, I think. Uh -huh. So, you know, there isn't a ton of information on it quite yet, but it does seem really promising if it does indeed do what it says Here's it what I like about this, because we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and I think we both were going, why not just take melatonin <laughs> instead? But there's something right. here that I didn't that I didn't realize. So you talked about how it's a melatonin agonist. So when you take a melatonin supplement, you swallow a pill that goes into your stomach and it gets into your bloodstream and some of it gets up through the blood brain barrier and gets to where it needs to go. Right. This drug goes through the blood brain barrier and actually like scrapes and scratches and knocks at the door where melatonin is created. So in yes. the, the pineal gland and causes your brain to naturally produce it itself. So instead yes. of adding it to your system, this sort of foreign melatonin, it causes your body to make more on its own. So that's a pretty neat, neat mechanism there. It is. I mean, it, I, honestly, I, after I read about it, I was like, I'm kind of, considering looking into this because i mean yeah i want to know some more about this all right so yeah i just wanted to sort of put that out there as an alternative maybe to melatonin for some people so we have talked a lot there's a lot to talk about with uh dream drugs as it were um <laughs> and there were some some that we didn't mention that may come up in in future episodes um perhaps but i think we we hit on most of them and now it's time to move past the science and well into the dream yes. interpretation stages. I'm doing waggly fingers, but I just realized nobody can see that. So. so this first dream comes to us from listener Tyler. Okay. I was on this floating house ship, like on a, on a pier or something in the middle of this very large body of water. And I was there with a lot of people. And there was, like, this massive storm, and it was, like, raining, and there was lightning, and the water was very, like, wavy and sort of threatening, but it was in the distance, so we were just, like, admiring it, I guess. But it was, like, very dreamlike, so it, it was, like, a scene from Inception, kind of, how, like, the whole like ocean was like raising vertically before our eyes. It was very cool. And then it occurred to us that like, although it wasn't happening right on top of us, that the storm would eventually move in. So we had to like go to a safer place. So then me and like a team of a few other people started evacuating this house thing, like the dock and then like the rooms inside and stuff. So part of the evacuation was, like, all of us going room to room and, like, opening the doors to check if there are people inside. And one of the doors that I opened led to this bathroom, and I didn't get a good look, but there was definitely a tub, and there were, like, two 
dead bodies inside, but they weren't like like neatly dead. It was like a bloody mess. And I was just like, I saw the I saw the scene, and I was like, nope. And I shut the door, <laughs> and I went yeah. back to like looking for people. And it was very hectic, but like eventually we got everybody out, and. I just remember me and this team of people being like the last people out of the house. And it doesn't really make sense because like even if they exit the house, there's still a I mean like in reality there would be a chance that the water would still get to you because going to the shore doesn't like make you safe. But there it was like a portal or something like just once you got beyond the door you were safe. So I wanted to note here, we got some clarification on things. And one of the things that uh, listener Tyler said he wanted to focus on was the water. And I'm quoting because it was very beautiful and sublime, but it had that threatening quality. And we were sort of marveling at it. So I'm wondering what kind of force that could be, like my brain making in my dream. And then also that there were so many people there. It wasn't like an intimate group. It was even more than a party. It was like an audience watching this sort of thing. And he felt like it wasn't people that he knew, and he couldn't remember even the people who were helping him escort uh, others out of the house, but he felt that he knew them in the dream in a weird way, or at least that he could trust them to get the job done, even if he didn't know them. Okay, okay. So I really love this because it touches on a lot of things that I feel are really cool. Um, So... Just because this is what we just immediately talked about, what really struck me, especially in your little, like, in Tyler's little postscript saying what he wanted to focus on, um, the group of people, I think, is very, very cool because it reminds me of – there are lots of, you know, concepts like this, things like uh, the collective unconscious, um, and I always think of – Thanks, Sensate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like mycology and how uh, mushrooms will share a, like a giant root system that connects them even from miles and miles away, which I think is fascinating. And I, my thoughts are going all over the place. I'm having a hard time um, organizing them. But my initial thought about the sort of water and everything and it being like – I love that he used the word sublime. Um, mm-hmm. But – Beautiful and sublime, but also threatening. That immediately struck me as, like, there's something on the horizon. I mean, very literally, it's a wave, but uh, it may be in his subconscious that is perhaps uh, a little bit threatening. Mm-hmm. And not, or maybe not even necessarily threatening, but, like, anxiety-inducing. But it's also very, like captivating and beautiful and sublime right Mm -hmm. um and so and i think that that is an experience that a lot a lot of people have whenever they are about to you know try something new take a new direction with their life they've uh come upon something that they're very interested in it's like oh my god this incredible opportunity or this incredible not a coincidence but it's it's like Everything is aligning in this way, and it seems like very almost, is that faded and promising, and like there's some sort of like spiritual significance to it. But uh, it's also a little bit scary, right? Mm-hmm. To to see something that you know wonderful and so huge, but still ah. like it's you're drawn to it at the same time. I, I know that I'm not articulating myself. Something that could change your life in 
in a very good way, but it's so terrifying at the same time to take that to take that step to make that leap. Yes, exactly. And I know that I'm not articulating it as well as I'd like, but yeah, it seemed very like so cinematic and very gorgeous and also it had these themes of like sublimity and connectedness and uh you know working in tandem with others and just this very oh this connect it struck me as a very like uh i don't necessarily want to say like religious or spiritual but um yeah just sort of the connotations of those words i like that i like that a lot um i want to explore the idea um of a person who may be more of a loner, may typically yeah. handle things on themse- by themselves. And when you take the time to, to look at something majestic and experience it and, you know, be it threatening, like a great white, no, wait, a, a big blue whale, like, yes, right. it is absolutely majestic, but if it were to jump up out of the water next to you, it's also very terrifying. <laughs> yeah. You might take the time. That is a very singular experience. Yes. You may all be experiencing it together, but you're taking the time to look at this thing and experience it for yourself. And so we have this moment of like a loner, you know, experiencing this bit of a frightening thing. And when the loner decides to reach out to these people that he may not even know, it, but he feels like he can trust them when he yes. when he gives in to trust yes, and yes. decides to go forth and do this thing that he knows needs to be done. There's so much power in that. And let's talk oh, about yeah. the fact he's going room to room, right? Looking through these doors. He comes across right. his bathroom and by himself, he looks in, he sees this dead body at this bloody mess, as he calls it, Ooh. and decides, nope, that's not for me. This is, he's, not only is it, a, I think, a moment of, like, picking your battles, but yes. also, again, that's this solidarity, or, the, sorry, this solitude, and this was not about solitude. This was, like, pulling yourself out of solitude, almost, and yeah. and uh, not experiencing things by yourself, and becoming yes. more powerful uh, through yeah. connection. Absolutely. I'm so on board with you there. It it was, yeah, it seemed so grand and the way that he described it was so vivid that it just made me immediately think like, whoa, this is one of those, uh, like in the past I was like, oh, I can see this as being like a prophetic dream almost. Yeah, it does have Like Caesar would have that would affect his, you know, it has that sort of weight to it. So yeah, I completely agree with you. There's lots of, you know, images of, being strong enough and powerful enough on your own, but also trusting those around you and connecting with those around you in order to work together. And I also sort of wanted to touch on the house or the house boat thing. I'm not sure exactly. Um, But the only way to get everyone safe was to corral everyone out of the house, which is so counterintuitive, right? Because whenever Uh. you think of a house, you think of like, oh, this is where safety is. But I think that in that, where it's like, I don't know exactly what we need to do, but I know that whenever we get out of this house, then we'll be safe. And I I sort of took that as like, again, going on with the theme of big, powerful life events and sort of taking that plunge, like stepping out of what would conventionally be your sort of safe zone oh my God. out into the world where it may not – like, like he said, you know, it's not traditionally – you wouldn't run out of the house to reach safety, but it's like out there – 
even though it seems maybe scary, that's where it's going to be okay. Like, and he just knows that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. And let's 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 take that further. So we talk about. I mean, yeah, he's even sort of analyzing his own dream here. When yeah. He says it doesn't. <laughs> in reality, th- there would be a chance that the water would still get to you, but taking that step, stepping out of the house, this comfort, this place. So let's go back to again the singular experience of of looking on this marvel. And sort of the symbology, I think, of, of water and its sort of grounding, sort of uh, cleansing properties. Ooh, it, yeah. I think it works. So it works in both ways. It's sort of it, it can steal your power in this very grounding way. And there's some beauty in sort of giving over to this force, you know. But yes. maybe this is about not giving into the... Again, like just sort of there, there is a there is a comfort and sort of a a very pleasant uh, bliss to just giving over to the forces of nature, whatever this force <laughs> right. might be. But when you say no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be grounded by this. I'm not going to be stopped and, and washed under by this thing. Instead, not only am I going to save myself, but I'm also going to save this group of people from the mundanity and again from this 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 comfort of of home. I oh, I really like that. <laughs> I know this all feels very like. Uh, on a less serious note, maybe he's uh, meant to lead some sort of movement. I, I like hear this and I'm like, wow, this is some like Greco-Roman prophecy <laughs> shit. And like, maybe you need to go on like a a wonderful pilgrimage <laughs> leading have, all of your followers. Like, do you have followers? Do you have and also like, is, do you have a trident underneath your bed? Have you checked? How? When's the last time you were by the sea? When was the last time, you know, you looked for a sword in a lake or something like i feel like maybe you should like have you put your ear to a conch shell lately yeah like have you done any of these really magical mythical things because i think maybe just maybe you might be a chosen one have you kissed a blarney stone yeah (laughs) yes okay that's that's all i've got yeah so if it's not all that really cool prophetic shit then maybe really what's going on here is like your subconscious saying that it's about time that you start your own cult. Um, you obviously are very good about closing doors on dead bodies, aka letting <laughs> letting other people handle handle the mess uh, in your house. Delegating, De- yes, delegation in a cult <laughs> is very important, and clearly you'd make a good cult leader in that sense. And also because you seem to have corralled this crowd around what could possibly be sort of. You know, uh, what's that movie where they burn the person in a, in a, uh, with their bees and he's allergic the to the wicker them? man? The wicker man. <laughs> yeah. So maybe this is sort of like the induction where all of the people that are there that you're going room to room with in this evacuation, they're the people that you're trying to get to join your cult or sacrifice them, maybe. And everybody that's on this houseboat who's looking out at this very large body of water, those are your followers. And so you've got everybody convinced that, like, they're in danger. And so we need you to help us. It's and okay. Just go outside. Just, yeah, just, just go outside. Just take a step to this portal over here. Yeah. You don't know what might be over there. And maybe, maybe, okay, this is a better idea for that door. You know how he says nope and he shuts the door? Huh, uh-huh. That's because once again... Claudia and Clevis decided to, 
decided <laughs> that they couldn't wait for the day of sacrifice and killed two of the and killed two of the sacrifices early. And so t- Tyler was like, "Damn yeah, them! They're it. always messed." I gotta, I gotta discipline them at some point, but nope, not right now because I gotta get the rest of these people <laughs> through the other portal. Things to do, more <laughs> important. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess if you know you really, really want to live on an in infamy, like, uh, like I'm trying to think of cult leaders, Marshall Applewhite, or you know, you're like, oh, it's fine, uh, you know, aliens, giant waves. It all makes sense. Put two and two together and just follow me and don't think about it. I'm going to put these, you know, uh, blue blocker sunglasses on and trust me. Just trust me. Aliens, giant waves, parties. It's all That's here. honestly, really though, like look at all of the cult leaders that have ever, that's basically, I mean, no argument that they've ever had is really any stronger than that. <laughs> Join me. We've got aliens giant waves <laughs> um honestly that was too beautiful a dream with yeah two, like i am very certain that at one point you are going to pick up some mystical weapon or something and you will save some universe and, yeah definitely it's hard to be funny about it because you know. it was just so grand and lovely that <laughs> so thanks but, a lot listener yeah, tyler ruining, for your ruining big us. old beautiful dream Ugh. <laughs> All right, let's move on. (laughs) Who's next? Our next dream comes from listener Brian. It is not the same Brian as last time. Uh, This listener Brian has included some special uh, audio effects of their own design um, (laughs) in the in the dream. So get ready for that. That is not me um, playing a very cool harpsichord in the background that you can't see. Okay, (laughs) great. Hi, Micah and Tori. I want to know if this dream means anything or is just a weird dream. I'm standing on the back of a boat that's slowly motoring away from the dock. I can see my friends and relatives all on board, and we are all very happy. It's a beautiful day, and we are headed to an unknown destination. But over the land, we can see some clouds starting to form. To get on the boat in a hurry, I left my bag on the dock, and I have this sense of loss that I don't have my bottle of water or my granola bars or my old sweatshirt in case I get cold. And my friend asks what's wrong when she sees my face, and I tell her about my abandoned bag. And she points out that there's a large buffet of food and open bar right here on the boat. And she smiles sweetly and reminds me that the boat is heated inside the cabin so I won't be cold. Feeling a little bit better, I ask her if she saw the storm clouds that are coming. And as we look back, we see a bunch of people jumping off of the dock, swimming toward the boat, and they're yelling at us, Wait, wait for me, wait for us. The boat continues to move, very slowly, but steadily. We notice that everyone that's in the water still has their backpacks on. The boat is moving away, very slowly, and some of the swimmers ditch their bags and catch right up to the boat, and we welcome them on board, and they are beaming with joy. We start yelling back to the others, Ditch your bags! Let's go! Get on the boat! Let your bags go! But many don't. We continue to urge them and encourage them, and everyone on the boat is concerned for the people in the water, but we're also very happy and grateful to be on the boat. A few more of them ditch their bags and do make it on board, but the boat is getting further and further away from the swimmers. 
Only a few with their bags are still closing the distance. Many others have just disappeared. Concern comes over two people on the boat, and they grab some food and water and jump back into the water. They swim toward the dock, trying to give the food to these bag swimmers. The two make a heroic effort and then make it back to the boat themselves, but they're not able to convince the others in the water to drop their bags. Throughout the night, we all take turns swimming out and trying to get a few of these bag swimmers that are left to come back to the boat. But the rain begins to fall and the winds begin to blow, and we're all exhausted, and we rest. The next morning, we're on a beach, and the boat is anchored a few yards from shore. The water is clear and blue and calm, and we look in the direction of our original dock. No swimmers made it. I whisper a quick prayer, and then turn and begin walking down an aisle. It's a wedding. Boats from all over start appearing on the water, carrying other wedding-goers. And now there are many aisles that people are walking down, and they all lead to the middle of the island. And as we walk down toward the middle of the island, the tide starts to roll in. We make it to a wedding chapel, and the water has flowed right up to the doors of that chapel. It begins to seep in through underneath the doors and even through the windows. I find myself standing with my wife at the altar, looking out at my happy friends who are up to their shoulders now in water. They begin to lift us up and hold us above the water. It continues to rise, and soon my wife and I are the only ones that are above it. But I'm not afraid. I'm grateful. Then the first splash of water washes over my chest. And... I wake up. So, what the heck does that mean? I think that that uh, recording means that this is officially Brian's show now, <laughs> I think, is what that means. I think... That's, that might be what it means. That was um, that was a, a very a very creative endeavor. Um, I do like ba- I do like bag swimmers. Yeah, this sounded like a very fun insult to me. <laughs> you bag swimmer. All right, we've gone through that very... C.S. Lewisian adventure. Um, yeah, yeah. And what what do we come out realizing? I think one of the main themes here uh, is about the weight of of the world, the weight of of concern, the weight of whatever uh, weighing you down and keeping you trapped. And that's that's the first part of this dream. We've got the happy boat where these people are having fun. You know, when you're with your friends and you're with these people on the boat, you don't need to worry about your granola bars and your bottle of water and your sweatshirt and all that kind of stuff because it's all right here on the boat with your people. And so it's okay to sort of um, what is that song? Feel the rain on your skin. Uh, basically, leave it all behind and not worry <laughs> right. about it. What's interesting, I think, is the way that this dream sort of goes into a potential another sort of metaphor, which is the concept of this water, because we do have self-sacrifice taking place. Yeah. And I wonder if this is just sort of like a a big reminder that no matter what you do, do we're all going to die oh my god okay good yeah no that's great um that's not exactly what i thought but i appreciate uh you really bringing us down with that memento mori i will say that as soon as i heard that this one was also about a boat um i started saying boat dreams but to the tune of jimmy buffett's bow drinks in my head boat drinks boys in the band ordered boat drinks 
everything seems to be wrong. I was like, boat dreams, the boys in the band ordered boat, boat dreams. dreams. <laughs> I really liked where you were going with this, the weight, the concept of this weight. Um, because whenever I... I heard it. I initially thought like skipping to when all of these people are like behind the boat and he's trying to save them and he discovers the only way that he can save them is for them to ditch their backpacks, right? Ditch your bags, bag swimmers. Um, And that sort of made me think of, you know how when someone is feeling very low or struggling and uh, but they're in a point where they won't accept help because there's something that they're not letting go and they're just like yeah it's it's hard to reach out and you know save them bring them back on the boat when they are sort of really really holding on tight mm. to this uh whatever sort of dragging them down and so that's what i thought is maybe brian is dealing with um some individuals in his life that he really, really cares about, you know, and that he has fun with when things are good. And uh, he he wants to be there for them and help them. But he also kind of recognizes in a subconscious way that he's not really going to be able to until they start to ditch that weight and accept his help. And then conversely, whenever he talks about – uh whenever it's him and his wife at the altar at this beautiful wedding and, and all of the water is flooding in and all of his friends are back and sort of – I almost saw it as like in return, they're lifting him up and keeping him above water. And so I saw it as this sort of like exchange of uh, like caring and uh, okay. love for others. Like, you know, I, I don't know where else to go from there. That's kind of as far as I got. But what what do you think about that? I like that. Um, it's certainly much more positive than what I had come up <laughs> Everyone with. Everyone dies. I mean, that is sort of like it felt like, okay, so we think about this journey um, mm-hmm. over the course of this dream. And it starts with life existing, again, sort of in your younger days. Uh, yeah, okay. This, there, and I don't mean super young because when you're super young, everything doesn't like you're just like, ah, everything's great. There's something <laughs> right. blue in front of me. That's great. I'm talking about sort of like high school into college and angsty and, and, and you let a lot weigh you down and keep yeah. you down. And then this boat is sort of like that period of time where you go, I don't care. I like, I can, I don't need to let those things weigh me down. I can find beauty and happiness in my friendships and in the, the connections that I make in this world and in the things that I do here. And all of that weight that I've gathered in that backpack through high school and, and through, you know, all this different stuff, I can right. just let that go. But there are some people who are, who get stuck in those periods of time and yeah. they can't let that stuff go. But then we get, you know, we get to this sort of, what what people see as sort of the goal, I think, in life, depending on what it is. And for mm-hmm. some people, that is finding a life partner. For some people, that might be finding a, a career that they take until they retire, whatever it happens to be. But like, that was the next step I saw in life. And as you're going, those those connections that you've made around you as you've, you know, you've reached sort of the later stages of your life, they do start to go away if we think of the ocean, if we think of the water as as the process of life and essentially from from when it touches your toes all the way up to when it touches your head, 
when it's over your head, you're dead essentially. Right. And so like, that's the end of life. And so you count in those later years on those connections to sort of keep you afloat and keep you positive and keep you happy. And you rely on your friends and your friends rely on you and they're a big part of it. But even through all of that, we all die in the end. The water still climbs over our heads and we go away. And so it's like an inescapable thing that no matter the connections you make, no matter the weights you give up, no matter the boats with heat and food that you <laughs> find yourself climbing onto or the islands with beautiful weddings taking place, the ocean still rises and eventually it takes us all in the end. Um, so, but, but, but there's a lot of beauty in this dream, like regardless yeah. of the shade we were throwing at, at the, production of the the dream like it's yeah. still the, the dream itself is gorgeous oh yeah definitely and it's almost an appreciation of life and so my earlier joke about <laughs> who gives a care i didn't i mean that was me being silly but genuinely like there is some beauty in the futility of life because nevertheless we persist yeah yeah you know i i kind of i like it spun in that way i do i think that is and not only do we persist but it it's sort of n acknowledging the futility allows us to really kind of appreciate the stuff around us as cliche as that is like it it sort of puts more importance on the smaller moments True. if we were a vampire that lived forever like yeah then those things would matter a lot less lose, it they would lose meaning for sure and i also i i i do enjoy the uh sort of death meaning because he did say at the end all he wasn't scared or anything that the water was rising and eventually sort of going to drag him down he he just felt grateful right so i think that that's great like if it is this sort of like you said a c.s lewis ex you know extensive like life metaphor adventure type thing then i i love that happy ending then because it's sort of like yeah you know it the water always does take us in the end, but grateful for the things I did along the way. Yeah, and the things very, that you saw, pleasant. like you saw some some awesome feats performed by you know, these people <laughs> too. And if it's not that, then it's probably just internalized fear of oceans or 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 rivers or streams or backpacks. How do you, or backpacks. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about a bodies of water and b backpacks? Back Backpacks are no joke, man. I did a science fair project in middle school about uh, how weighty backpacks can really like mess up your whole shit. So, I mean, I understand. They are kind of scary. There are the traditional nightmares of things following you and trying to kill you. And then there's a backpack <laughs> ruining your spinal column over the course of, of several years. And Technically honestly, still following you and trying to kill you. <gasps> oh, <laughs> you wear it on your true. back. Go oh my on. gosh, this is true. All right, that is, uh, thank you very much, listener Brian, for sending Thanks, in dream. Brian. And our last dream uh, comes from listener Brad. Tori, would you like to, to read the email that listener Brad sent in? I would love to read it. Okay, so this is a little bit of a different one. I just want to start off. This isn't Brad talking. This is still Tori talking. I haven't become <laughs> Brad yet. I am become Brad. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily a specific dream. It's sort of a... Well, you'll see. Okay. Brad writes, Hey, dreamers. I want to write in not about a specific dream, but a particular type of recurring dream that I frequently have. I often dream of the apocalypse in which some cataclysmic event happens and I'm then trying to survive in the immediate aftermath. I have dreams of 
meteor apocalypse, tsunami apocalypse, vampire apocalypse, alien apocalypse, demon apocalypse, and even apocalypse from the earth being rent by some unknown force and other various forms of apocalypse. It seems strange to me that I do often dream of apocalypse, and I'm guessing that it's not particularly normal. Why do you think that this is a common theme in my dreams? Regards, listener Brad. <laughs> Man, those are some apocalypses that I didn't even know that or consider That is what existed. I was about to say. Ooh. You need to write some books, please. They can be called yeah. the Apocalypse Series, and it's just different ways that you write the destruction of the universe. I want to hear listener Brad's apocalypse tales. And yes. I think that that is, that is first and foremost, what your subconscious is telling you that you've got some books to write, my friend, Use that apocalypse or movies juice. to make perhaps. Oh yeah. People would love that. People love apocalypse movies. People love apocalypse. Apoxal- <laughs> you know, <laughs> whenever do. you get chicken pox on your lips. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> That's mm. not what this dream is about. No. I think that a very, a very easy answer here is um, that anxiety about the end of something, anxiety about yeah. um, about disaster, be it small or large, that exists in your life is playing itself out in your dreams. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're afraid of the world ending. You don't mention that. Um, you don't, you don't mention that in the, in the, the email that you sent us, but it could be that you are afraid of some sort of emotional change that's going to yeah. take place or like the, the, the possible ending of something that you've held on to for a long time. I mean, it could be anything that for you, whether you realize it or not, is apocalypse level in its effect on your psyche. And so it it, overall to me sounds like it's just, it's, it's very tied to anxiety. um, If it's not about making movies, but I mean, Tori, do you have any other thoughts? Again, it's just so many types of apocalypse. You have a very creative mind. I yeah, I just man, I gotta I gotta get that vampire apocalypse book <laughs> at least if you only do one. I would love to have that one. But um also uh yeah, I mean I'm with Micah on this. I really think that you know, I'm a creature of habit and I respect that in others because it, it is uh you know, very comforting to fall into these patterns. And you may, like Micah said, be worried about the end of something or some sort of drastic change that's going to muck up your whole business, all of your, you know, the habits and patterns that you've set in place for your life. Um, uh, and I mean, honestly, I'm I'm curious because you don't really mention it, but how you end up dealing with it, right? Because it's kind of all in that, like, are you, do you cope with it well? Is it sort of like your brain is rationing out like, ah, I mean, yeah, sure. You know, the, uh, some unknown force rented out the earth. And so they're putting an end to all humankind, but you're managing in the dream, you know, you're not, you know, whatever, like, or would you, you know, be like me and then like loot, like, peach rings from all the gas stations in the nearby area and then just lay in the fetal position until, you know, whatever happens, happens. Because maybe in that case, your subconscious would be telling you, like, hey, uh, 
maybe look for ways to better manage your anxiety. Maybe add some new tools to your arsenal. I don't know, something like that. But because it's such a general description and it's not necessarily like one dream we can really dig into and we don't get a lot of background as far as like how you're dealing with the apocalypse, the, the many apocalypses, um, <laughs> then it's it's kind of difficult for me to really point it in a certain direction. So I think you might have to take the reins a little bit on this one, uh, Brad, and more interpret and look at how you're dealing with it in the dream as opposed to just maybe not focusing so much on uh, – all of the different types of apocalypses that could happen, <laughs> which honestly, you've opened my eyes so much. And yes. now I, I didn't even know there was a spaghetti apocalypse. Yeah, I uh, wasn't even considering all the different types of apocalypse we could have. And now it's like around the corner, every corner, there's apocalypse. <laughs> it's apocalypse all the way down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, here's my challenge for listener Brad and for all our listeners. Oh, okay. For Brad, it is to, uh, Nail down one of these apocalypse, apocalypse that you have had, or a one that comes, you know, in the future, and send that into us. Yes. Send us a specific one, and we might be able to provide a little bit more insight that at times will be funny, and at times will be very serious and beautiful and (laughs) and considerate. Uh, You can send your dreams into dreams at lucid.show. That is our email and you can send either audio files or you can send in uh, written out dreams if you so choose. Uh, and if you follow us on Twitter at lucid underscore podcast, you could also direct message us with your dreams. Oh, yeah. We uh, love that. So any of those methods or if you just want to tweet at us and you've got, I don't know, a link to an audio file, that would be great. It's not great to do 240 characters for a dream. Usually you need a few more than that. So um, <laughs> those are the two places to hit us up with your dreams. Or you can also go to lucid.show and click the dreams link at the top. And guess what? There's a form there where you can fill it out with your dream. And Edda, the dream sheep, will collect your beautiful, brilliant mental makings <laughs> And carry them to us in Big Dream City. Love that alliteration. And also I just wanted to say, if you guys could, um, Micah has actually posted on the Lucid Twitter account how to give us a rating or a review. If you guys could even just tap the stars, it takes literally two seconds. That would help us out so much. We would really, really appreciate it. We have been pleasantly surprised and very happy to see the listenership growing quite a bit. Um, I'm so grateful. It's the wildest thing. I love it. it I'm is, so happy. <laughs> it's been it's been really good. Um, and with that, like we want to continue to grow the listenership so we can always have dreams out there to uh, to rate not to rate and review. So we can always have dreams to interpret on the show. Um, So just by tapping those stars, you are going to put this podcast in front of more people. And shout out to uh, one podcast review that we have in uh, the iTunes store right now uh, with more on the way. so sweet. So awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And genuinely, you have no idea how much that helps. Even if you just tap those stars, uh, it's very helpful. So that is, I think, going to do it for us this week. We just should uh, let everybody know where they can find us. Tori, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? If you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at TSFolk. That's T-S-F-O-U-L-K. And Micah, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Micah Sargent, M-I-K-A-H-S-A-R-G-E-N-T. Or you can head over to chihuahua.coffee, C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee, with links to all the things I do. 
Until next time, it's time to tiptoe off to Big Dream City. Good night. Good night. If you felt a slight little tinkling at the back of your neck, that was because of Tori's waggly fingers. <laughs> yes. Or perhaps it's because of my my whispering into the microphone. ASMR. You'll never know. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want to hear these dreams, man. You're getting very spooky right now. I don't know that I can handle it. What I'm doing is wasting time because I'm trying to find the dreams. <laughs> And this won't actually make it into the podcast, except maybe at the end after the music. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Into the bloopers.